Hey, welcome to Access. John here. Are you a gullible person? Maybe you've been in an auto parts store asking for blinker fluid, or you really can't believe it's not butter. Well, if so, don't sweat it. All of us fall for stuff from time to time. Although, that doesn't mean that you have to fall for it in the future. Well, today we're going to be talking about how we can ensure that we don't fall for the greatest con of all time. So get a Bible handy and turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 11, because this message is entitled, The Holy Spirit Test. Do you realize just how easy it is to get scammed in today's society? Did you know that in, in 2015, victims lost $12.7 billion to the Nigerian email scammers? Let me give you some advice. If the Prince of Uganda reaches out to you through email so that he can share his inheritance with you, it's probably not legit. According to a survey done by Consumer Affairs in 2016, 11% of adults admitted to losing money over, the, over phone scams. Just, just last year. Um, you know, credit card companies are predicting that if drastic steps aren't taken to address scams and fraud, that by the year 2020, Americans will be losing $35 billion annually to scammers and identity fraud. Now, while we would think, well, you know, I don't have to worry about that, the banks are going to be the ones that are going to be left out, hung out to dry. The truth is, is these banks just increase the number of hidden fees and the amounts they charge so that they can pass this expense off to the consumer. And they're not going to be in business if they're losing money. So in a manner of speaking, we get victimized twice. And don't think that more severe laws will just scare scammers into hiding. Because the truth is, is that We've gotten more strict on our laws, and they're more prevalent than ever. Did you know that there are online scam schools that you can go to? So if you want to know how to be a part of this lucrative business, all you have to do is sign up for a series of online classes so you can learn how to cheat people out of their hard-earned money. And if you don't want to be cheated, then you still need to take the class so that uh, you won't fall for their tricks. Now, they even have a YouTube channel that is dedicated to teaching someone how to be a con artist. And somehow, this is all legal. Now, don't think for a second, though, that you are smart enough to not fall for a scam. Because that's what everyone who gets scammed thinks. Now, I admit it. I, I've been scammed before, and I when it happens, I just feel so foolish, and I don't want to fall for such a ridiculous ploy again. I mean, I, I kick myself and think, what were you thinking? But the truth is, is that all of us are subject to being scammed at one time or another. Which is why... Each of us must follow scripture and watch out for the ultimate scam. Peter says in 1 Peter 5, 8, Stay alert. Watch out for your enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for, looking for someone to devour. See, the devil is looking for opportunities. Not to scam you financially, because money can re be replaced. The devil wants to scam you spiritually. And one of the most common questions about God is, How will I be able to recognize him? It seems like there is just so much confusion as to what is an act of God and what isn't. And I think in part this is um, you know, the confusion that we feel. It's, it, it comes from uh, the overuse of the word miracle. We say things like, it's a miracle that we didn't just pass out. Or, um, you know, the Cowboys have won the Super Bowl. It's a miracle. And while it seems quite miraculous, um, it, it's not. We can even see th say things like, you know, nothing works as well as this miracle cream that I bought from the department store. 
And while it seems like this is just a semantic battle and a petty argument about the use of the common vernacular, the truth is, is that the more that we hear and say things like this, the more difficult it is to distinguish when God actually shows up and when we're just being duped. So while I don't think it's time to panic, I do think we need to recognize that this is a conspiracy brought on by the devil to desensitize us and distract us from the true acts of God. You know, many Christians aren't even able to distinguish when something is the Holy Spirit working and when he's not. Now, um, as I've said before, we can fall into saying things like, man, you know, I really feel like the Lord's presence is with us today just because the building is full. Or, you know, the Spirit's really moving just because the pastor has an eccentric message. Now, confusion about God, it just seems to be at an all-time high. For example, I have been to services that were complete and total chaos. I mean, people were falling down all over the place and convulsing all over the floor. And and some people were screaming, other people were weeping, some people were laughing. Some were dancing and and and, and others were just jumping over the pews. And all the time, you know, this, this whole time, I, I was just standing there with this confused look on my face. And the reason why is because I was asking myself, is this really what passes for the power and presence of God? Or is there something else that's going on here? Pastor Mark told me that uh, he once went to a church where they bought out a, brought out a big trash can. And they put it up in front and, they, and people were just encouraged to come and, quote, get their demons out. And, and what it was, their, their, quote, getting the demons out was just an opportunity for the people to come up and vomit what they had drank the night before into the trash cans in front of everybody. Now listen, I'm not trying to make fun. I, I'm actually quite angry when I hear about things like this or I see this kind of stuff. And this is why. Because I don't recognize this as God actually showing up, um, but as something else. Now, the truth is, the Bible tells us the devil is a real person, and he is a master con artist. In fact, everything that God does, the devil forms a counterfeit version. For example, God created love. The devil created lust. Um, God creates joy. And while this isn't necessarily a bad thing, worship of this is, the devil promotes happiness. You know, I, I, you, you should be happy, but happiness fades. It's a counterfeit joy. Um, God tells us we should worship him. Um, Satan convinces us that there are other things that can be worshipped, so he introduces idolatry. God gives us godly desire. Satan gives us selfish ambition. You know, if Satan consistently looks for ways to imitate God and deceive others, wouldn't it make sense that the best way Satan could, could deceive people is by forming a counterfeit Holy Spirit? Satan wants to distract us and to confuse us. He wants to divert our attention to what might seem like God so that he can lead us in a different direction. Now, one of my favorite analogies about how Satan works, it's my favorite because, um, because it just makes so much sense to me, um, the analogy is is that Satan uses five-minute lies. When it's noon and you want to see exactly what time it is, you're going to look at the clock. You're not going to look at the clock that says uh, 5.45, like it's 5 p.m., and know that that's right. Now, you're going to look at it and go, no, something's wrong about that. It is not 5.45. However, when it's noon and you see that the clock says it's 12.05, you're more likely not to notice the subtle difference. And this is how Satan works. He doesn't expose us to major lies. He is very subtle 
and divisive. And, and when you don't notice the five minute difference enough times, you're going to look up and the clock is going to be way off, but you won't know it. Nobody has ambitions of becoming an alcoholic, going to prison for fraud or abusing children. Nobody, nobody like says, I really, I really cannot wait to be an alcoholic. But, and you know, we would look at these people and we say, you know what? Their morality clocks are just way off. But in truth, these are just people who have consistently fallen for Satan's five-minute lies over and over and over again until their clocks of what is right and what is wrong, they're just way off. And if it happens to them, don't be so arrogant as to think that it couldn't happen to you. Because the truth is, is that nobody is immune. We must po- follow Peter's instruction and remain self-controlled and alert. The devil, he wants to deceive us. And if we're not paying attention, he will. The Apostle Paul wrote in the Corinthian church, um, because of this arrogance that they had had regarding the devil. And, and they thought that they couldn't be deceived or led astray. But when Paul writes them in his second letter, he is very frustrated with them because they had already been deceived by smooth talkers. And, and, and these guys came in and they told them things that sounded good, but they weren't true. This is what he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, uh, verses 3 and 4. He says, um, But I am afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, cunning bleh, your minds may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For if someone comes to you and preaches a Jesus other than the Jesus we preached, or if you receive a different spirit from the one that you received, or a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it easily enough. Essentially, he was telling me, he's like, you know, you guys, you guys just allow this, this, um, this teaching to happen. So essentially what was happening is that there was a bunch of eloquent speakers, those who had been trained to stand up in front of a crowd and speak, somebody who was uh, very charismatic when they spoke. They had passion when they spoke. That, that they were deceiving the Corinthian church. And Paul knew that, that, that he wasn't that gifted in speaking, but of all the things that he didn't have, there was one thing that he did have that others didn't. And that's the truth. And he tells them in verse 6, I might not be a trained speaker, but I do have knowledge. In other words, I know what's true. Paul challenged these believers not to fall for silver-tongued speakers who were essentially snake oil salesmen. He tells them that these, quote, super apostles were servants of the devil and that they were telling the Corinthian church five-minute lies. This is what he says in, in verses 13 through 15. He says, For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, masquerading as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. It is not surprising then that if his servants masquerade as servants of righteousness, their end will will be what their actions deserve. In other words, they're going to get what's coming to them. And the Apostle Paul says says that Satan doesn't walk around in a red cape and horns while carrying a pitchfork. No, he does something deceitful. He, He masquerades as an angel of light. In other words, he is extremely subtle. And you most likely not even recognize him when he's a long way off. And according to the Apostle Peter, if you're not self-controlled and alert, you won't recognize him at all. Satan is a con artist, and he doesn't want 11% of adults. 
He's not interested in stealing our money. He wants to steal from us our very lives. He wants to steal from us more than that. He wants to steal eternal life. He wants to completely destroy us. You know, I was walking in the mall the other day because I had to go buy some new blue jeans and and a kid was walking in front of me, teenager was walking in front of me with a shirt that said, Satan is my homeboy. And I just shook my head, like, like just surprised me. I'm like, whoa. And I thought to myself, like, how could this kid be so deceived to think that Satan is his homeboy? And then I had God reaffirm something in me. He reaffirmed that that's where I would be if it weren't for the promptings of the Holy Spirit. We need to recognize that without the Holy Spirit, we're not better than anyone else. We're all subject to falling into being deceived, which is why we need to establish what is the working of the Holy Spirit and what isn't. We can't just reject every spirit because that would leave us defenseless against Satan. This is what the Apostle Paul tells the church in Thessalonica. He he says, do not put up with the Spirit's fire. Excuse me, do not put out the Spirit's fire. Do not treat prophecies with contempt. Test everything. Hold on to what is good. In other words, don't just reject everything that has to do with the Holy Spirit. If someone comes to you with a prophecy, don't write it off immediately and say something like, we don't like your kind around here. Paul gives us an answer when he says, test everything. Don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Test whether it's the Holy Spirit and hold on to the good and throw out the rest. So essentially, when we see something and we're told that it's of God and we're not really sure we can use the, quote, Holy Spirit test to evaluate whether it is of God or whether it isn't. Now you may be thinking, well, what in the world is the Holy Spirit test? The Holy Spirit test is a principle that applies to everything God does. You see, there are several teachings about the Holy Spirit in several places in Scripture when the Holy Spirit shows up that we can use to compare with what we experience in our daily lives. So essentially, the principle goes like this. If what we are experiencing and or are challenged to believe doesn't line up with what we read about God in Scripture, then it's not of Him. So to put that more plainly, if God's Word doesn't say it, then I'm not going to believe it. Now the challenge there is to know and understand what Scripture says, and we cannot do this without doing two things. First, we must, uh, we must read our Bibles You can't do that without reading your Bible. And the second really isn't on us. It's more on the Holy Spirit. We must be enabled by the Holy Spirit to understand, which I believe God gives us when we ask for it in prayer. Now, while I couldn't possibly cover all the workings of the Holy Spirit in one message, please allow me to get you started by showing you some things in Scripture about the Holy Spirit and encourage you to continue your personal study on this issue. Did you know that in the book of Acts, every single time someone encounters the Holy Spirit at work, it generates a response of awe, amazement, astonishment, and wonder? For example, on the day of Pentecost, the disciples of Jesus spoke in a different language that they would otherwise not have known, and the people listening were dumbfounded or trying to come up with some kind of other explanation. Acts chapter 2, verses 7 and 8 says, Utterly amazed, they asked, Are not all these men speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in his own native tongue? 
And other people came up with an explanation, uh, explanation, oh, saying, oh, you know, they're just drunk. See, when the Holy Spirit is working, it leaves us with shock and confusing and asking, how is it? How is this possible? How is it? This, this doesn't make any sense. How is this possible? So the first question that we should ask when we're trying to test whether this is the Holy Spirit and whether it isn't is, am I speechless? Keep in mind, this can't be the only question that we ask. Because as I experienced, people can mysteriously decide to flop around all over the floor during a church service. And that left me pretty speechless. Like, I don't even know what to say to that. But the truth about the Holy Spirit is that when He works, He will always instill in us a response of wonder and amazement. And we will ask, others will ask, how is this possible? Because the truth about the Holy Spirit is that He's amazing and He he works in ways that, that otherwise couldn't be explained. For example, when a kid is lost in a drug addiction, as I used to be, and he suddenly snaps out of it and he turns his life over to God. That is the working of the Holy Spirit. That is a miracle. It is a miracle because when my mom and dad both tried to explain to me where I was going and they tried everything they could do to help me see the direction I was going was wrong, it didn't make a difference. I still went in that direction. I got fired from multiple jobs because of my addiction. I got in trouble with the law. People whom I loved and who I thought loved me were suddenly pulling out of my life. But all this happened and I still didn't quit. And then one night, the Holy Spirit broke my heart and he gave me a vision of the direction that I was headed without him. In my church, they became shocked and amazed when I walked into church and I surrendered my life over to the Lord. This is the work of the Holy Spirit that leaves us astonished and speechless and internally asking, how is this even possible? We have tried countless times. We have preached to this kid over and over and over again, and he's just not heard the message. So how is it possible that now when we did nothing, here he is. The Holy Spirit equips us also for ministry, and he elicits that same response in us. How is it possible? For example, the Holy Spirit enables us to speak in ways that we would be otherwise unable to. Jesus says in Luke chapter 12, verses 11 through 12, When you are brought before the synagogues, rulers, and authorities, don't worry about what you will say or how you will defend yourselves, for the Holy Spirit will teach you what to say at the time, at that time, and, and, and he'll teach you what you should say. The Holy Spirit reminds us that we what we will need to know and remember. Jesus also says in John 14, 26, But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all the things and will remind you of everything that I have said to you. The Holy Spirit, he gives us freedom from sin and he empowers us to put to death the sinful nature. The Apostle Paul said in Romans 8, 1 through 2, he says, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. You see, the Holy Spirit, he equips us to do the things that we would otherwise be unable to do. Whether it's speaking in front of a crowd that would normally terrify us or a verse that comes to mind that we otherwise wouldn't have thought about or when we are able to defeat a sin that has power over our lives, the Holy Spirit gives us the ability to do supernatural things. And so the second question we should ask is, was I or someone else unable to do this before now? 
Because if not, that's a pretty good indicator that there is someone else at work. This is a great question we should ask when we see people losing it during a church service. If someone is flopping around like a fish on the floor saying things, you know, that they have the Holy Spirit, we'll ask ourselves the question, were they able to do this before now? Yeah, they're capable to flop around on the fish like a, a, a floor like a fish. But if someone suddenly starts speaking a different language they didn't know before or puts hands on someone else and that person is miraculously healed, that's someone else at work. That is the Holy Spirit. You know that each gift of the Holy Spirit has a purpose? Remember, the the Holy Spirit has an agenda of His own. The Holy Spirit draws us into intimacy with the Father. Romans 8, 15-16 says, For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received a spirit of sonship. And by Him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. The Holy Spirit, He affirms in us that we belong to God. Ephesians 1.13 says, And you know, uh, you also were included in Christ and when you heard the message of the truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in Him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit tells us how we can serve God, how we can get closer towards Him. Jesus said in John 16, 13, But when when He, the Spirit of truth, comes, He will guide you in all truth, and He will not speak on His own. He will speak only what He hears, and He will tell you what is yet to come. Now, this should, should lead us into a deep understanding about the Holy Spirit. His role and function is not to do incredible things and to show us miracles. His role and function is to move us closer to the Father. And so we need to ask ourselves, Is this moving me or someone else closer to God? Because if the answer is, I'm not sure or no, definitely not, then although it might seem like a powerful spirit, it's not the genuine Holy Spirit. See, the Holy Spirit wants us to walk with Him, to move in a specific direction. He's going to move us to be changed long-term, not just short-term. And he equips us, in order to do this, he equips us with the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5, 22-23 says, The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And against such things there is no law. You see, these are attributes that Jesus had. He was loving. He was joyful. He was full of peace. He was full of patience. He, he was kind. He was good. He was faithful. He was gentle. He, he was self-controlled. There, there never existed a more self-controlled being than Jesus. He was sinless. And so the Holy Spirit leads us. He, he leads us through spiritual warfare, and he puts to death the desires of the flesh. Galatians 5, 16-17 says, So I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. You see, the Holy Spirit, He will lead us away from what our flesh desires and toward what the Father desires. The Holy Spirit's ultimate goal is to lead us to be like Christ. And because of this, I can think of no greater question to ask ourselves than this. Is this all about Jesus? Or someone else? Is this thing that I'm seeing or I'm experiencing or I'm reading or I'm listening to, is this all about Jesus or is it about something else or someone else? Is this to bring glory to God 
and being conformed to the image of his son? Or is this to bring attention to someone else or ourselves? You see, everyone, everyone is subject to being deceived, even followers of Christ. The truth is that there are things in our lives right now that we might be deceived about. That's why we need intimacy with the genuine Holy Spirit. I'm not sure if you've heard this before, but there are two kinds of people in the world, the haves and the have-nots. I guess those who have the Spirit and those who, who don't. You know, that might be true, but I think in terms of salvation, there are actually four kinds of people in the world. There are those who think they are saved, and they are. Praise God. There are those who think they aren't saved, and they're not. That's who we try to reach. There are those who think they aren't saved, and they really are. And there are those who think they are saved, but they're really not. And of all the groups of people, I think the last two are the saddest, but definitely the final type is the worst. Because people who, who are saved but don't feel like they are, the reason why they feel this way is because they're not experiencing an intimate relationship with Jesus through the Holy Spirit. Remember, the Holy Spirit is God's seal upon us, and he's, he's his, he is God's affirmation that we are His. That he leads us to say, Abba, Father, and we're marked with the seal, the promised Holy Spirit. And so those who spend their lives away from the Holy Spirit and continually ignore his promptings are always going to question whether or not they are truly saved. And it's so sad because God has something greater in store for us. But as I said, I think those who think they're saved and they're really not are the saddest kind of people to be. And I believe this is true because they have been deceived into following the wrong spirit. Now sometimes this spirit is the spirit of morality, of trying to be a good person. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to behave while I'm at church. But this is a complete denial of the true condition of every single human heart. We cannot be good. No matter how hard we try, only God is good. And thus, only those who have been indwelled with the Holy Spirit can do any kind of good. Jesus said in John 15, 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. And apart from me, you can do nothing. This is the point. We cannot allow ourselves to be deceived into following someone other than God. And I'm confident that when we stay in a close relationship with the Father, when we are drawn into an intimate relationship with Him through the Holy Spirit, we will be able to recognize a fake when we see one. Don't allow pride to blind you from the truth and think, well, I won't be deceived. I'm better than that. Don't be the typical macho man. If you're lost, stop and ask for directions. If you're questioning right now whether your faith is legitimate, and you're asking yourself, do I really have the Holy Spirit living in me? You should know there's absolutely nothing wrong with where you are. You should be asking this question. However, I believe God wants to move us to a better place, a place of assurance of our salvation, of, of certainty. He wants to draw us into intimacy with Him so that when something, someone else comes 
wearing his hat, clothes, and glasses, we won't be deceived into following them into places that he never intended for us to go. So if you're asking this question, what I would encourage you to do, go to someone who, who you know has the Holy Spirit or you believe that they have the Holy Spirit working in them. And maybe you're not sure. So ask yourself those questions. You know, am I speechless by their life? Were they unable to do this before now? Are they trying to move me closer to God or further away? Is their life all about Jesus or someone else? Because these questions can help us find people who are endowed with the Holy Spirit. And when we're endowed with the Holy Spirit, we only want to lead others closer towards Christ, never further away. And so if you're asking yourself these questions, good. Go and speak with these people and ask them. Tell them what, you know, what, what you're dealing with. Ask for prayer. And have them help you move closer to the Lord. Maybe this is a pastor. Maybe it's an elder. Maybe it's a deacon. Maybe it's somebody in the church. Maybe it's a, a family member that you know has a stellar relationship with the Lord. That they have an intimate relationship with the Lord. Don't be prideful. Don't be ashamed. Go to them and ask them for help. Today I want to close with a passage of Scripture and a prayer. I want to close with Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 25. It says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain, that is, His body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and in full assurance of faith having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from the guilty conscience, and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess, for he who is promised is faithful. Let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another. And all the more, as you see the day approaching. Let's pray. Father, I come to you and I ask that you would lead each of us into an intimate relationship with you. We know this isn't even possible except through the sacrifice your son made for us on the cross. So Father, in the faith that we have in Christ, I ask you, I ask you to draw me close. That this might be the desire of everyone listening and that, that you would give each of us the insight on how we might not be deceived. Show us where we are already being deceived. Teach us the things that we need to unlearn about you and fill those empty gaps with truth. I ask that you give us each a, a hunger to seek you out that we would never be content with what we know about you. And in those times of confusion, Lord, I ask that you remind us through your Holy Spirit to test all the things and weigh whether or not what we're experiencing or being taught is of you. Keep us close to you, Lord, and help us to never stray away. In these things, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, thanks again for listening. We pray that God blessed you through this message and has given you a clear direction for your life. 
Please remember to download our church app by searching FBC Runge in Google Play or iTunes. And remember to subscribe to our podcast so that you never miss another message. If you have any questions about today's message, you can contact us via Facebook or Twitter or use our website. Until then, we hope that you share in our vision to help people take root, grow, and bear fruit. And if so, then let's get out there and get to work.